Gary said, we are launching into this new series called God Never Said That. What we're going to do in this series is talk about phrases that we have in our society, commonly accepted phrases that we like to say, that we like to say to each other, that we like to blame on God. We, We act like these are things that God said. These are words we put in his mouth. As soon as I say it that way, it reminded me of ventriloquism. These gifted individuals who have the ability to make other things seem to speak when their lips don't move at all. In fact, I know a talented ventriloquist. His name's Dave Pendleton, and he sent me this video. Hi, everyone. I'm David Pendleton, and I want to just say hello to my very good friends, Pastor Rick McKee and his wife, Shannon, and to greet everyone at Redemption Chapel. Who are you talking to? Oh, and and this is Mac. What's up? So, Mac, I'm making a little video here for my friend Rick McKee and everybody at his church, Redemption Chapel. What are you going to do on this video? Well, first of all, I'm going to demonstrate to them a little bit of my ability as a ventriloquist. As you know, I'm a ventriloquist. No. (laughs) And I thought we would do a little joke. This is going to be great. It's one of my favorite jokes. Oh, that means it's not going to be funny. So I'm going to say, what is red and smells like blue paint? And then you say, I give up. What is it? You can't be serious. No, this will be great. I'm going to say the question or ask the question. Then you say, I give up. What is it? And then I give the punchline. But that's against the rules. What rules? You're not supposed to do the punchlines. I do the punchlines. Well, I just thought I'd change things up a little bit for this video. I'm going to ask the question, and then you say, I give up, what is it? And then I give the punchline. It'll never work. Just do your line. Repeat after me. I. I. Good. Give. Give. Up. Up. What? Up. No. Out. No. In. Is. Is. I give. Up. What is. It. I don't get it. You will get it when I do the punchline. Look, if I said to you, how much is two and two? I give up. What is it? Four. Oh, that's funny. What is red and smells like blue paint? Red paint. I give up. What is it? Mac, I just wanted to do a fun video for my friend Rick. You're messing the whole thing up. Hey, if I behaved myself, you wouldn't have an act. Look, Rick is a very talented pastor. I remember when he was just getting started, he let me read the transcript to one of his sermons. I read the transcript. Do you know what I said to Rick after I read it? Yeah. I give up. What is it? (laughs) Don't blame me, Rick. He said it. (laughs) Uh, He did say it. Uh, David is a very talented ventriloquist. I'll tell you what, it's one thing to not move your lips, but then to do that back and forth and that dialogue and all that. I I met David 30 years ago out in Ocean City, New Jersey. It's a beach town, of course, and because of that, there was always a beach towel around. And so David would take a towel and kind of bundle it up so it looked like a baby. And his lips wouldn't move, but he'd be making baby noises and patting it. And then they'd throw the thing and everybody freak out, you know, because there was never a baby in there, right? Like, he's just a very talented guy. 
And the talent of ventriloquism, of course, is to be able to make it sound like someone or something else is speaking the words that are actually coming out of your mouth. And it's very entertaining until we make God the dummy. Pro tip, don't call it a dummy around David. Okay, like those are characters. Whoa, okay. So, uh, but uh, when we make God the dummy and, and we put words in his mouth. So what we want to do is we want, we have these phrases and we want to comfort people. We want to make them feel good. We want to be sympathetic and supportive. And so we have these phrases that we say to make them feel better. The problem is that the phrases are not true. They're not correct. And furthermore, the problem is that we act like God said them. We blame these phrases on God and they aren't true. We're playing ventriloquist with God. God never said that. And that's what we're going to be doing in this series. Now, to get busy today, the phrase we're going to be going after is this one right here. Everyone is a child of God. Everyone is a child of God. Yeah, that's just not in the Bible. What? Yeah, that's not in the Bible. Just not in the Bible. Those are words that we are trying to put into God's mouth. And there's a couple other phrases that kind of go along with it, like all paths lead to God or everyone at their core is inherently good. Those things aren't in the Bible either. This idea that everyone is a child of God, you know, I, it comes up for me at times as, at funerals. As a pastor, I have to officiate funerals at times. It's an interesting phenomenon. Like, all of us complain about our family all the time. We know our relatives are bad people. Until you get to the funeral, and then everybody attains sainthood. Have you noticed? It's like, like the deceased, it's always like they loved God so much, and uh, they were just so good, and they were never bad. And, and I, you know, it, it's just, it's not true. It's not true. So these things are not really true, but why do we like these phrases? Like everyone is a child of God. Why do we like it? Well, number one, we like it because it doesn't offend people. We don't want to offend people. And then number two, uh, we like it because we feel like it makes God look good. We want to picture God as like this grandfather type. You know how like the grandfather is always spoiling his grandkids? But most grandfathers, like they don't know the lines, right? Like they're spoiling all the kids, right? They're handing money out and candy to everyone, Right? And we like that image of God that he just, he adopts everyone and is his child and is just spoiling everyone. But the problem is that's a greeting card, God. What I mean by that, a greeting card, you know, on greeting cards, uh, there are these sappy sentiments that we don't really critically examine. We just accept the words on the card. It's a greeting card, God. And as we go after some of these phrases, some of you won't like it. We'll be talking about some phrases some of you have come to accept as dear to your heart. And what you'll have to choose during this series is, do you want a greeting card God or the real God? Do you want the God of imagination that we make up and put words in his mouth? Or do you want the God of revelation that we actually see speak in scripture? And we'll have to choose on that. Now, as we start to get after this phrase, I, we are going to have a problem in this series as pastors. What scriptures do you pull out? Like the whole point is that God didn't say this. The whole point is that it's not in the scripture. So I don't have a verse. So it's going to be a really short sermon. And all of you are like, yay. Where are you going? There's no donuts out there. You got nowhere to go. So sit tight. We'll get to it, right? Because what we're going to do instead, we'll pivot to talking about, okay, well then, what does the scripture say? And what we're going to be talking about this morning, I'm going to get into some truths. 
And then we'll look at some implications. And then we'll look at some actions. All right? That's where we're headed this morning. Now, the first truth that I want to unpack, I'll spend the most time right here. It's this. All people are created in God's image. All people are created in God's image. Now, for that, I have a verse. Because that's actually in the Bible. Right at the beginning of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1. Look at this with me, if you will. Verses 26 and 27 say this. Obviously, this is in the creation account. Right up front in the Bible, it says this. Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him, male and female. He created them. And so what we see in that is, of course, it uses man there in the old sense of referring to humanity or mankind. And and it's that all humans are created by God and created in his image. Now, what's that mean? We'll come to that in a second. But time out. First, what I want you to catch is that doesn't make everyone a child of God. Okay, so for example, look at something I created. There's my Facebook avatar. I know you all made them too. Shut up. Right? And, and we made them and we liked them so much because cartoon me is so cute. Right? Like, it's like we made these avatars and like that looks just like me and the rest of us are like, no, it doesn't. <laughs> but, uh, you know, cartoon me has a lot more hair and darker hair. I like cartoon me. So anyway, but I made this. That's the point. I made this and it does bear my likeness. It's made in my image. It's not a perfect match, but it bears my likeness and I made it. Does that mean that thing is my child? No, just because I made it in my image doesn't mean it's my child, right? And, and that's the way it goes. That doesn't make it my child. God is the creator of all things. Figuratively, we would call him the father of creation, but that doesn't mean every created thing is his child. Like God also made cats. And I guarantee you those things are not his children, okay? Those things are evil, right? So the point is that just because you created something doesn't mean it's your child. You get that, right? All right. Now we can go back to the question of what does it mean then that humans are made in the image of God? Humans are a unique creation. It is unique to our us that we are made in his image. What does that mean? And there's a lot of discussion, a lot of debate and disagreement over that phrase. The one thing we know it doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that we look like him. Because God is spirit. God is not material. He's not physical. So it's not that we look like him. What does it mean then? And here's some ideas that get uh, pushed out, and they're good ideas. One is that we too are spirit. There is an immaterial, immortal part of us, our soul. So in that way, we are similar to God. Uh, There's the fact that we can reason, and we have volition and will, and we make choices. That's similar to God. There's the fact that we have a moral compass, a sense of moral oughtness. You know, animals don't have that. We do. That's probably that we are made in God's image. There's also the idea that we are relational, we're communicative, we can love. Okay, think about God. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the Holy Trinity, has been in relationship for all eternity past and always will be. 
and they love and relate and communicate. And so go figure when he made mankind in his image, he made us relational. And so we were made for relationship with God. We're also made for relationship with each other. It is not good for the man to be alone. Yep, that's being part of being made in his image. Another angle on it is that we are creative, that we adapt the uh, environment around us, but make beautiful things. God does that. God makes beauty. We, in, in his image, we are creative. We make beauty. Another angle that sometimes gets missed is the issue of authority. So what would happen back in the day is you would have a king and he would take on new territory and to symbolize that this new territory belongs to the king, what he would do is he would erect an image, a statue in his image. It would bear the king's likeness. And everybody would know that that king rules in this new territory. So here's what God did. When he made the earth and everything in it, he erected his image. In this case, not a statue, but us. And he put us on earth to say that king rules here. And we are his vice regents and we're to rule the earth in his place and for his pleasure. It's part of what it means to be made in his image. Now, there's lots of debate, again, that goes on in that area. But at least if you roll all that together, can we at least get this out of it? Humans are pretty freaking awesome. Humans are just incredible, incredible creatures. I like to watch YouTube videos of people doing art. Have you ever watched these things? Whether they're time-lapse or whether they're speed artists and they do these amazing things. Sometimes craftsmen, woodworkers, and so I love to watch them. Check this out. When I watch those YouTube videos, you know what I don't say afterwards? I don't say to myself, that person must have been a Christian. You don't either, right? Because you don't have to be a Christian. You don't have to be a child of God to do amazing stuff. That's just part of being created in his image. Humans are pretty freaking awesome. But at the same time, we can be really horrible. Really, really horrible. It's kind of like dynamite. It's powerful. And it can be powerful for good. It can be powerful for bad. And so I can use dynamite to blow a tunnel through a mountain so a train can go through. That's using it for good. I can use dynamite to blow up a cafe with people in it. It's bad. It's powerful either way. And humans are that way. We can be incredibly beautiful and awesome. At the same time, we can be horrible. And sometimes the image of God is very stained and buried, but it's down there. It's down there. C.S. Lewis had a way of capturing this in his essay, The Weight of Glory. Here's what he said. Listen to these great words. He said, it is a serious thing to remember that the dullest, most uninteresting person you can talk to may one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are, in some degree, helping each other to one or the other of these destinations. It is in light of these overwhelming possibilities that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all play, all politics. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. It is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. Humans are amazing. We are made in God's image, and we have to hold on to that truth and live in light of that truth. 
Now, with that one in mind, we are made in God's image. I want to move on to truth number two. I spent most of my time on one. Let's look at truth two here. If you are not in Christ, the devil is your father. You probably won't find that on a greeting card anywhere. <laughs> that's, uh, this is why we like to play ventriloquist with God at times, because that's uncomfortable. But look what Jesus said in John chapter 8, verse 42. Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father, the devil. And your will is to do your father's desires. You see, before we came to Christ, we were not God's children. But it's not that we were fatherless. Unfortunately, we had a father, is the devil. And now you understand why ventriloquism is so much more attractive with God at times. But that's truth. It's out of the scriptures. All right, third truth is this. Children of God are not just born, they are born again. That's how you get to be a child of God. Let's go back to the Gospel of John. In chapter 1, verse 11, it says this. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. You see, so it's this second birth when we receive Christ, when we place our faith in him, that we, we're not getting involved in religion, we're getting involved with a relationship with him. That's what it's talking about there. So the first birth, your physical birth, that's when really nine months prior to that, but you get the idea. But the first birth is about being an image bearer, being a creation. The second birth, when we are born again, that is about becoming a child of God. In fact, if you want to put an exclamation point on it, look at Romans chapter 9, verse 8. This means that it is not the children of the flesh who are the children of God, but the children of the promise are counted as offspring. Oh, I guess there is a verse for it. Look at that. There it is, Romans 9, 8, okay? All right. Now, the fourth truth and the last truth we'll look at this morning is really based on the third one. It's a variant of that. And it goes like this. Children of God are such by adoption, not by birth. What happens with adoption? Okay. You, you, you're not a biological descendant of your parent. You're adopted in as a child. And when that happens, you are a full child. You are a real child. You are a complete child with all the love and all the rights that go with being a child. Our church loves adoption. Speaking of adoption, uh, maybe you caught recently online the new Gerber baby. Did you see it? Look at Magnolia. Oh, yeah, I put it in there for that. Uh, I knew if I put her picture up, I'd win as a pastor right there. Right? That girl is just stinking cute. Uh, and she's a Gerber baby first. Uh, not because she's black. There's been other black Gerber babies. Uh, but because she's adopted. In fact, look at the Earl family, if you will. Here's a picture of them. And they look a lot like many families in our congregation. Our congregation loves adoption. We love legal family adoption on earth. But we also love 
theological adoption, and that's because it's essential to our understanding of our faith. This is what God said he did for us in the gospel. Look look at Romans chapter 8, verse 14 and following. It says this, For all, all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. You see, when it comes to the family of God, the children of God, God has one and only one natural born child, the one and only son of God, Jesus himself. That's it. Past that, every other child of God only gets in by adoption. We get adopted in. And the cool thing is, if you look in that passage, we get all the love and all the rights that go with a, a, a natural born child. We are full children. We are made fellow heirs with Christ. Are you kidding me? That's huge. We are getting in by adoption. All right. So there, in, in contrast to playing ventriloquist with God and saying everyone is a child of God, there are four truths from the scriptures. Now what I want to do is shift and look at some implications from those truths. And the first implication is this. The value and the dignity of all human life. All human life. Every human is created in the image of God. And because of that, uh, they are, that, those people are image bearers. There is never and has never been a three-fifths image bearer. You understand what I'm saying from our nation's history? There's never been a three-fifths image bearer, a full image bearer. So that is regardless of educational status, socioeconomic status, regardless of race, regardless of gender, regardless of religion regardless of disability, regardless of chromosomal disorder, doesn't matter, regardless of stage of life, whether you're really old or whether you're pre-born. This is why we are pro-life, because those, those are people created in the image of God, and that sticks, and so we, we care about those lives. Another thing that does not take away the image of God is the fact that people sin and make bad choices. Now, the image of God, yes, can be stained and buried, but it's down there. And so even when somebody makes mistakes, they are still an image bearer. And because we love God, we must love his image. Let me explain it this way. I grabbed this out of my office this morning, took it off my wall because I'm like, oh my, I need a picture of Shannon for this. I don't have one of just of Shannon. Uh, this is her with her younger twin. That's her daughter, Madison. Madison is uh, 18 now, so she's much older uh, looking than she is in this picture. My wife looks the exact same. Got that on video. Good. All right, so we're, we're all good there. Uh, and I love my wife. Absolutely love her. And because I love my wife, you know what? I love pictures of her. I love pictures of her. Could you imagine if I took out a pen and I drew a mustache on her? little goatee, some horns, blacked out. And you know what? I gouge out her eyeballs. And I give her acne. 
Now, if I did that to a picture of my wife, you would have a hard time believing that I actually love my wife, right? Because I love my wife, I love the picture of my, I love her image. See where I'm going with this? Now, people are made in the image of God. And if we say we love God, how can we love God unless I love his image? And his image is all human life. Everyone. And so all human life is deserving of dignity, of rights, of kindness, of compassion. Even George Floyd. George Floyd, let's be honest for a second. George Floyd was a criminal. He's got a rap sheet and a long one, did time. Did some really bad stuff if you read some of it. At the time of his detainment, he was hopped up on drugs and had just committed a crime. But do you remember what I just said? None of that makes the image go away. He is still, don't miss it, he is an image bearer. A full image bearer. And you can't kneel on his neck for a second, let alone eight minutes and 46 seconds. That's an image bearer. All human life is valuable and deserves dignity and rights and compassion. All right, that's the first implication. The second implication is this. Christianity is radically inclusive and radically exclusive. All at the same time. It's a paradox. All right, the reason we like the phrase, everyone is a child of God, is because it's so inclusive. We like how that feels. And don't miss it. Christianity is crazy inclusive. All are welcomed in. The foot is level at the, uh, the, the ground is level at the foot of the cross. Look with me, if you will, at Galatians chapter 3, verse 26. It says, For in Christ Jesus you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. That's racial. There is neither slave nor free. That's socioeconomic. There is no male and female. That's gender, but I hope you knew that. If not, talk to me afterwards. But then it goes on to say, For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's offspring, heirs according to the promise. Offspring, that means you're children of God. your fellow heirs together. And it is crazy inclusive. Crazy inclusive. This is why racial reconciliation is so important to the testimony of Christ. Because after all, when we get home someday, that's our destiny. And I cannot wait to get there. But it's so important to the message of Christ. And we have to lean into it. Absolutely. At the same time, Christianity is crazy exclusive. Did you notice from this passage, you only get in by Christ. There's no other road that leads in there. Because Christ is our only hope to be okay with God. There's no other solution. So it is exclusive to Christ. You have to be in Christ, through faith, baptized into Christ. Christianity is radically inclusive and at the same time radically exclusive. That's the second implication. The third implication is this. Humility. Please don't miss this. Humility is really important on this one because as soon as we say, okay, pastor, what you're saying is not everyone is a child of God, but we is. So we're, we're, we're pretty much a notch above everyone, right? 
And we can look down on them. And so now uh, arrogance and pride can seep into our view of the world, and we've got to be real careful with that. So let me disabuse you of that by reading to you from Ephesians chapter 2. Look at this first part that speaks about us. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passion of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That speaks about us. That's all we brought to the table with God. We are, were, by nature, children of wrath, like the rest of mankind. That's us. That's a horrible position to be in. But the next two words are some of my favorite words in all of Scripture. But God. That's what we did right there. But God. Look what it goes on to say. But God, being rich in mercy... Because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. Amen? Amen? That's huge. The first paragraph was all about us, and we're nasty just like everyone else. There's no, no pride, no arrogance. The only difference is for, for some reason God chose us, and I don't know why. I, I honestly, with myself, I don't get it still. I don't get it. It's the thing about adoption, though. Both of my associate pastors have adopted children, beautiful families, and, and one of the things, as I watch them go through it, it, it's interesting. The children don't adopt themselves. You get that, right? The children don't affect their own adoption. They're taken along for the ride. The parents decided that. And that is true with God as well. God chose. I didn't do a thing. God adopted me. And so it leads me to be a very humble person because I know that I am at nature a child of wrath. I, I bring nothing better to the table. Nothing than a non-child of God, all right? Humility. Fourth and final implication is this. We ought to bear the family resemblance. And I stick this point in because as I say that we are children of God, I want to avoid easy believism. Now, you might not be familiar with that phrase. What it basically implies is the wrong-headed idea that all a human being needs to do is to m mimic or just parrot some prayer on a page somewhere. That's the salvation prayer. Now you're in. You're a child of God. And after I get my, my get-out-of-hell-free card, now I can do whatever the heck I want. So you believed, and now it's easy. It's easy believism. Okay, that's not true. That is not true. We ought to, as the children of God, we ought to bear the family resemblance. Look at 1 John chapter 3, verse 10. By this it is evident who are the children of God and who are the children of the devil. Whoever does not practice righteousness is not of God, nor is the one who does not love his brother. Ooh, ouch. That one stings a little bit. Now, don't miss it though. 
It's not that we act righteous and act loving towards people and then God goes, oh, he's worthy and adopts me. That's not how it worked. Rather, I was a child of wrath and, and out of grace, he adopted me in and took me in. I wasn't worthy at all. But when you're in the family of God, over time, you ought to start to bear the family resemblance. And if you don't start to bear the family resemblance, it starts to be an indicator that maybe you were never in the family of God. See how that flows? After all, adopted children bear the family resemblance. You go, wait, wait, what? They don't look the same. It's not about how you look. There's so much more that goes with being a family, right? I mean, if you saw me and my brother, we have some of the same mannerisms, same way of talking, same intonation, same vocabulary. We walk similar. We grew up eating the same foods, disliking the same foods. There's so much that goes with being in a family. And even adopted children bear the family resemblance. And so should we, as the adopted children of God, we ought to bear the family resemblance. We need to. All right, that's the fourth implication. Now, what I want to do is to uh, end today by giving you some actions, some things that we ought to do in light of this. And the very first action might be obvious. It's become a child of God. Some of you aren't. Some of you like came into this thinking everybody's a child of God. I'm good, right? And you're finding out, oh, uh uh-oh. Uh-oh. And so, so I want you today to repent, to run from your father, the devil, and run to your new daddy, God himself, to give your heart to Christ, to put your faith in him, that is to enter not into a religion, but into a relationship with Jesus, to be born again and adopted. For some of you, that might happen today. I love it. That's the first thing, to become a child of God. Now, the second thing I want all of us to do then is to be in awe of grace. Because we didn't earn it. We don't deserve it. God did it by grace, and we want to worship in light of that. Third thing I want you to do is love your family. I don't mean the people that live with you. I mean the people in this room. I mean your spiritual family, your family of faith. When Jesus was walking around doing his itinerant preaching ministry, he was at one time teaching a crowd, and it said that his mother and brothers came and they really wanted to take possession of him because they thought the guy was just office rocker and, and they needed to talk some sense into him. And they can't get to him because of the crowd, so they send word. And word comes to Jesus that your mother and brothers are here and they want to interrupt your ministry and talk to you. And he says, time out, who is my mother and who are my brothers? Is it not these? And he refers to the disciples there that are listening. Is it not the children of God is the idea there? And what Jesus does is he elevates the status of our spiritual family even above our earthly family. And so should we. I want you to love your spiritual family. I want you to be committed to your family, to pray for them, to serve them, love your family well. And then what I want you to do is I want you to represent your family. So Caleb and Madison, uh, they grew up going, uh, the elementary school was so close that they went to that we didn't get a bus. We walked them or drive them or whatever. But when they hit middle school and high school, they would go out the door in the morning. I can remember Shannon calling to them as they walked out the door. Hey, remember today you represent your Lord and you represent us. And I want us to do that. Remember as you go out into that broken, fallen world, and is it a mess right now out there? It's a mess. When you go out into that world, you represent the Lord and you represent the children of God, the family of God. 
And you do that out you do that on social media. Keep that in mind. Represent him well, represent us well. Represent your family well. And as you represent the Lord, what I want you to do next is I want you to invite others in. Remember not everyone is a child of God. Do you don't you dare say that and say ho hum and walk away. What I just said is everyone's not a child of God. That means that's a horrifying, terrifying thing. We've got to invite other people in. We're proud of this family. We want them in with us. Invite others in. And then what I want you to do is to treat all with dignity, honor, respect. Why? Because all, no matter what they look like or no matter what they've done, all are made in the image of God. Look at this quote from Ann Voskamp. She said, we will never really reflect the image of Christ to the world unless we really see the image of God in everyone. We want to reflect the image of Christ. We must see the image of God in everyone. And therefore, the last thing I want to call you to do is to defend the rights of the oppressed. And the reason why is because, well, number one, the Bible calls us to. This isn't ventriloquism anymore. The Bible calls us as children of God to defend the oppressed. But you got to understand something. When a human being is being oppressed, that means the image of God, the one we love, his image, his image is being oppressed. And we care about that. And so we have to defend the rights of the oppressed. So there's some truth, there's some implications, and there's some actions. Now, what I want to uh, just remind you of is this. We, as the people of God, the children of God, we have an opportunity coming right now where we get to stand alongside each other. We've wanted to do this for two months and we didn't get to do it. We get to stand along the other children of God and worship our Father. But first, let me pray. Father, thank you for your grace. The reality is, Lord God, I still, I, I get choked every time I say it. I don't know why you chose me but you did, and I'm so grateful. And thank you for my brothers and sisters here that by grace you have chosen us and adopted us, and we were born again. And now, Father God, could we honor you and honor the family resemblance and be your agents in this broken world that we would love all people, for they all bear your image. And because we love you, we love your image. Take us there, Lord, please. And I pray in Christ's name, amen.